people buying cryptocurrency. The reason is really simple. Central banks have printed so much money that its value is plummeting. It's called inflation. So what is cryptocurrency? What is Bitcoin exactly? Well, we scoured the country for more than a year to find someone who could explain it to us, who really understood it and who had skin in the game. Michael Saylor is the man we found. There's really no one better we've decided to talk to you about this topic. Michael Saylor is an entrepreneur, a business executive. He's raised billions in Bitcoin, and he's worth listening to on the topic. By the way, his company just dropped more than $400 million on it this afternoon. We sat down for more than an hour with Michael Saylor for a genuinely fascinating episode of Tucker Carlson today. Here's a small part of it. The currency is to the economy what your blood is to your body, and economic energy or money is to the currency what oxygen is to your blood. So common sense says if I keep sucking the oxygen out of the room, if I suck the oxygen out of the room, you're going to either suffocate or freeze to death. And if I keep sucking the economic energy out of the currency, the economy collapses. In the extreme, you get ripped back to Stone Age barter, right? When the money doesn't work right, anymore, right. I have to trade you cigarettes for bullets. Right. And the problem with that is, is the economy becomes a million times less efficient, right? If you don't have money, it's like, now how many countries in the world have a collapsed currency? 66 are dollarized. There's 180 about countries. There's 130 floating currencies. All of them are weaker than the dollar. The U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency. The U.S. dollar is expanding. It was expanding 10% a year for a decade, now expanding at 14% a year. It expanded 34% over the past 12 months. The dollar is weakening. Okay, it's like the auction is getting sucked out of the room. So, Tucker, if I told you the oxygen is getting sucked out of the room and there's an oxygen mask drops out of the ceiling over there, what would you do? Run for it. Yeah. Put the oxygen mask on. Bitcoin is the oxygen mask. Bitcoin, the, the idea of Bitcoin, let, let's, let's move to the okay, third let me spot. Let right? say you've made the most compelling case I've ever heard for the need for something like Bitcoin. So you're saying, just to make sure that everyone's following this, the whole point of Bitcoin is to escape the inflation vortex that has consumed all these previous empires? The point of Bitcoin is to fix the money. And money is energy, and energy is life. And if I keep sucking the energy out of the economy, I'm sucking the oxygen out of your system. Either under the best case, you perform poorly. Under the worst case, I suffocate you to death or freeze you to death. That's the problem. That's why, it, that's why empires collapse. That's why economies collapse. You probably haven't seen a conversation about economics that interesting ever. We certainly hadn't. And if you're wondering what is Bitcoin, what is crypto, or if you care about inflation, why are things suddenly more expensive, you need to watch that. It's over an hour long. Michael Saylor is his name, an amazing person. That's on Tucker Carlson today at foxnation.com.
Happy Bitcoin Tuesday, freaks. It's your boy, Matt O'Dell, here for another Citadel Dispatch, the interactive live show about Bitcoin distributed systems, privacy, and open source software. That clip you just heard was MicroStrategy CEO and founder, Michael Saylor, on Tucker Carlson's um, Fox News show, explaining Bitcoin to him. Uh, take it as you will. Huge shout out to the ride or dies who continue to support this show. You guys keep this show ad free, sponsor free, and focus purely on actionable Bitcoin discussion. I cannot thank you enough. The easiest way to support the show is through podcasting 2.0 apps. My two favorites are Fountain Podcasts and Breeze. That's Breeze, B-R-E-E-Z. You can search it in your favorite app store. All you have to do is search Citadel Dispatch, press that subscribe button, load it up with sats, and you can stream sats directly to my lightning node to support the show. You can also support the show at citadeldispatch.com through lightning or through my paynim, my samurai paynim, uh, which is Odell. Very easy to remember. So thank you all for supporting the show. Another huge shout out to the ride or die freaks who join us every week. Uh, in the live chat, which is accessible via Twitch, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, you guys make this show special and unique. The questions you bring, the comments you bring, uh, make these conversations more comprehensive than they would be otherwise, and I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, also, sale dispatch hats are back on sale. Richardson hats were out of stock globally and now they're back in stock uh shipping worldwide should be able to get to you by christmas uh so if you're interested go to citadeldispatch.com stack uh to get a hat also huge shout outs to btc pins and crypto cloaks uh for making awesome bitcoin merch uh not sponsors but uh, i like to shout out my favorite influencers uh when i get the opportunity to so with all that said, this will be our third, our fourth Bitcoin mining focused dispatch. Um, the first one was Citadel Dispatch 5, where we briefly touched on mining, not, not very strongly. Uh, then Citadel Dispatch 31 was like the getting started. So if, if you haven't listened to that, consider going and listening to that after this show. Uh, that's citadeldispatch.com slash CD31. And then we had Citadel Dispatch 38, uh, where we went more in depth on mining. And today we will be also uh, going further into mining. And so I'm very excited about it. We have two return guests. I will start with them. We have uh, Ronan Miner. Ronan, how's it going? It's going all right. Awesome. Thank you for joining us again. Yeah. Um, and we have Big Kahuna. Big Kahuna, how's it going? Hey guys, I'm doing all right. Currently recording from my truck because we have a house showing going on. So this uh, this is interesting. Fuck yeah, we love that ded dedication. I met Big Kahuna in Austin uh, a couple weeks ago. So I think this is our first show doing it since uh, we met in person. So that's exciting. Oh yeah. Um, and we have Daniel Frumkin. Uh, head of research and content at Slush. How's it going, Daniel? Going very well. Thanks for having me, Matt. 
We also have another guest, BTC Boulder, who is not here right now, but will hopefully join us uh, further along into the conversation. So with all those introductions said, um, where do you guys want to start? I know the focus here to start off or the focus here is going to be on securing the cheapest power possible. When you're talking about mining, um, you have two main costs. Uh, you have the actual hardware cost of the ASIC miners, and then you have the electric cost that you pay to run them. Um, in the past, we have discussed securing miners and obtaining miners and trying to get the best price for them. Uh, and on this episode, we're going to, this conversation, we're going to try and start with a focus on obtaining the cheapest power. So where do you guys want to start on that? I'd hand it off to Kahuna to go through that thread that he did. I think that was the catalyst for this whole thing. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess what my thought was that, uh, just to start really, really high level, like, you know, start from the, the top of the globe bird's eye view, how you can get the cheapest power and just like very slowly work down to a more granular level until we get to the residential, um, which is where I wrote that uh, purchase power agreement thread, um, which kind of had some tips and tricks in there to kind of guide people on how to negotiate power with their their energy service providers. Um, so, like, I was really hoping that uh, BTC Boulder was going to be on because he's a he's an actual lineman electrician. He works with like big, 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 big power, and would probably have a lot of insights as we as we work our way down through this. Um, but I guess like to start off, like, obviously the, the best way to get cheap power is to position yourself near hydropower or geothermal or nuclear or something that, that is the cheapest. Um, and I don't know, I guess, uh, Daniel, as you've been kind of exploring the world, I guess, do you have a list or an order of what, what powers are, uh, generally cheaper than others? Well, I think it's a lot different for industrial scale miners versus home miners, uh, because as a home miner, you're you're buying power from a utility company, most likely or almost definitely. Uh, so even if their energy source is like regardless of whatever their energy source is, uh, that that's not necessarily going to dictate what your end price is as a consumer. Um, whereas at the industrial level, if they're working directly with the power company, then uh, the hierarchy is is more based on the cost of energy for whatever energy source. Uh, interestingly, you mentioned geothermal, and I was just in El Salvador for the conferences there and talking to some people, and it sounded to me like the geothermal energy is actually not all that cheap, like maybe seven to eight cents per kilowatt hour, uh, which could be profitable for a very long time uh, with all the current conditions that we have. But um, I think ordinarily I would be recommending to people at least mining at scale to look for something like six cents per kilowatt hour as a um, good barrier for a good threshold for being competitive long term. Um, I think probably for at home miners uh, that should be considerably higher than six cents per kilowatt hour because it's just not realistic in most places. Uh, and you're you're probably mining for reasons besides just the mining profitability on its own. Um, but that said, I would probably rank them 
as like actually maybe solar as the number one, uh, which is very low on my list for industrial scale mining and very high on the list for at home mining um, because there's so many incentives that uh, different companies or the government provides for doing solar panels on your roof at your home uh, that it typically makes sense to do solar panels if you're in a solar dense area like the Southwest or, or Florida or anywhere in the South really. Um, then you can, you would be sending power back to the grid ordinarily with that kind of deal. Uh, any excess that you produce, you would sell to the grid and you wouldn't get a necessarily great price for it. So mining Bitcoin with the excess on your at-home solar can actually make a lot of sense. Um, other than so, that, it's, it's hard to say. Daniel, let me just stop you really quick. Um, so you work for Slush. Um, you have this this dashboard, insights.brains.com. And in classic Bitcoin fashion, that's brains with two eyes. Um, yes. Because no one in this space can name things in an easy way for someone on a podcast to talk about them. Exactly. Um, this this website is is extremely uh, detailed, um, and you have all these different stats on it. I got I I pulled it up on. If you're watching the video stream, you can see it. I I have it in the screen share. And you have the break-even electricity price of all the different top miners. Um, so I'm seeing, I'm seeing the S9. When you when you list the S9 here, is it running Brain's custom firmware? The break-even electricity price is stock firmware. So, so at stock firmware, that, you break even at fifteen cents a kilowatt hour. Yep. So the, the Brains OS Plus column there is with an overclocking profile, which, which is actually not that much more efficient than the stock firmware because you're consuming so much more power. Uh, so the break-even electricity price is about the same or even potentially lower. But if you were to run the S9 at, for example, 800 or 900 watts instead of what we have there, which I think is 1400, then your break-even electricity price would be probably two or three cents higher. Got it. So, so a lot of people. So, so when we're talking about like at scale, like try and target a six cents kilowatt hour, seven cents kilowatt hour, it's 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 about maximizing profit, right? But you can, especially if you're a home miner, you can get away with significantly higher electricity rates, and if you value no KYC when it comes to stacking, um, I would say like you could even push it maybe even a little bit further past break even if you if if that's something you value. Um, and a lot of these uh, a lot of these utility companies will just offer offer it up if you just call your utility provider and and just ask them what type of programs they have and then you tell them what you have they'll say what do you fit into this type of category or, the, or that type of category you can negotiate down for winter rates and and different even so just yesterday a guy was explaining to me the rates that he's offered at his at his location and he's just regular residential he could get five cents a kilowatt hour for 21 hours a day during weekdays but the other three hours a day during weekdays, he has to pay 36 cents a kilowatt hour. 
So then you have to kind of do your but oh then, shit. Yeah, and then on the weekends he gets five cents a kilowatt hour, twenty four hours a day. So you kind of have to do your. That's a bigger difference than I'd expect. Yeah, and then but then you gotta you gotta. I don't know. And then you got, I suppose you'd have to take into account like, all right, so you're going to shut your, all your machines off for three hours a day. What kind of wear and tear does that do on your machines? If you're powering them off and on every day. So do, do you know what kind of wear and tear that does Daniel? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, basically we know it does some, but like nobody's willing to really share lifespan. Like the, the main people that we would get that information from are the ones doing the load balancing, like, demand response stuff in ERCOT system in Texas and a similar system in Illinois, but Illinois, but there's um, like, it's not necessarily a good idea for any miners to share that data because if they're participating in those programs and they share that data, then it would directly result in their hardware resale value going down uh, because then there would be like some sort of uh, clause on any any hardware sale where like this hardware was used in a demand response or just frequently powered on and off application so its lifespan is probably going to be shorter and the value will be lower and then they're not going to be able to resell it for as high of a price so uh, it's hard to get that information but um, generally speaking it's it's definitely not good <laughs> that's all we can say that's uh i never even thought about i never even took that uh, the resale value into uh consideration on that so yeah i mean the resale value is I, a lot of people don't take the resale value uh into equation in the in the opposite direction in terms of when you're talking about profitability i mean you can mine these things you can mine with these things for a couple of years and then resell them what is that value at that point um it's a little bit harder to to know that obviously, but it's still going to have some value if you want to resell them. Yeah. Um, that's always kind of been my argument. I've probably said it in the past, past couple of times I've been on is uh, everyone goes with the ROI metric. Whereas just because it's going to take you 10 months or 18 months or whatever, what, however you've figured out your quote uh, ROI, you're not sitting on zero afterwards. Like you still have, like, even if you've gotten your return on investment, you still have a machine that's going to be worth a lot to someone, presumably. So a hundred percent. So Daniel, I have, I saw a question on Twitter uh, the other day, which is a question that I actually get a lot uh, from freaks who reach out. Um, you want to go into explaining why it's cheaper to buy six S9s versus uh, an S19, even though the tower hashes are the same? Yeah, uh, it's basically a, a matter of a difference in efficiency. So for you to produce 100 terahash with S9s, you have to consume um, it's like roughly 7,000 watts, maybe 8,000. Um, depending on the quality of the S9s, whereas to produce that same terahash with a S19 only requires about 3,000, 3,300 watts. So uh, it's like maximum, you, you get more BTC per watt of power that you're consuming. 
And that that also means that the lifespan of your ASIC in terms of not in terms of operating lifespan, but just like the profitable lifespan where you can run it at a certain electricity price will be longer, the more efficient it is. Uh, so the S19s are significantly more expensive because they they're expected to remain profitable for much longer and because they're going to help you stack much more BTC per watt of energy that you're consuming right away. So like at the extreme, uh, it's more worth it to get the new gen miners if your electric cost is higher and it's better to get the old gen miners, something like an S, a bunch of S9s if you have free power or as close to free as possible. Yeah, generally, if if your power, even for a solid portion of the day, like 12 hours, if you have power for uh, under like three cents per kilowatt hour, then you should almost definitely be going with something like an S9 or a uh, M20S from What's Miner. Um, yeah, once once you get above that, it becomes a lot more tricky because the like break-even electricity price is only telling you day-to-day -day profitability. Like, can I can I make a profit by running this machine for the next twenty-four hours? But what it doesn't tell you is, will I actually make enough money to actually to pay off this the capex that I spent to get this machine in the first place? So it's not quite as simple as like, oh, uh, I have, so the break even have, price you list does not include purchasing the miner. Right. You, you, that's uh, if you scroll up to the very top of this page, we have a profitability calculator and we call it a profitability calculator just because that's what people are used to. But it, what it really is, is like a Bitcoin mining cash flow calculator. So in the advanced options on the, the inputs sidebar, if you open up advanced options down there, there's capex um hardware starting hardware value hardware appreciation or depreciation infrastructure appreciation or depreciation and then uh hodl ratio is for like if you want to keep a certain portion of your profits in btc instead of selling into uh, fiat so yeah exactly uh so if you if you have a <laughs> non-zero non-zero price increments on in the basic options for BTC price, and then you have a HODL ratio, then you see the impact of like holding versus not holding. Um, but for for hardware value, uh, that's part of the cash flow line. So once you input CapEx and hardware value, then the cash flow separates from the net profit loss. And, um, and then like your resale value of the hardware is factored into the cash flow. So as hardware depreciates, even though it, maybe it loses half of its value in the in a year if it's an old gen machine, I don't think that like personally, I'm I think that price growth will outpace difficulty growth in the near term and, and hardware will actually get more expensive. Uh, so I think there's an interesting play of trying to trade the hardware where you you mine with it at home for a year and then you try to sell high on it. Um, but anyway, yeah. It's hard to, to actually see the inputs. Let me go full screen. Yeah, why isn't the graph changing? Am I fucking something up? Uh, I don't know. It's. I think actually the. It's yeah. It's because uh, the hash rate and consumption are way too high. So it's like change the hash rate to a uh, hundred terahash and consumption to three thousand watts, and then everything will be 
more proportional and and we'll be able to see stuff better uh, it'll, it'll reload better um, i'm trying to get rid of the little yeah there we go okay so now you can see hardware value the yellow line where it's losing about 50 percent of its value in that 12 months uh, the cash flow is the pink line that's increasing less rapidly than the net profit loss. And the reason for that is because while you're making that profit, the hardware is depreciating. So your cash flow, which includes the value of your assets, is not increasing as quickly as the amount of money that you're just making in general. Got it. This is a pretty in-depth little calculator you guys got here. Yeah, this was the, the first part of the project that we built. And it was, um, I, I had a ton of spreadsheets and I was trying to explain them to people who were like just getting into mining, just going through like cell by cell on Excel spreadsheets. Like if I change this, then this is what happens and, and so on and so on. And like nobody was understanding it. It was really difficult. And then um, at the same time that I was like, had so many tabs open trying to keep track of stuff. I was just kind of like, this would be really useful for content if I could have visualizations for all of these like Excel spreadsheets that I can't even make charts for in Excel because none of them make sense. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I think the most advanced calculator out there on the market by far. Well, we appreciate it. Um, so what's your favorite, what's your favorite part of the site? What's your favorite metric on this site? My, my favorite little tool is at the very bottom. It's a power capacity widget where if you input a certain amount of power in megawatts, it will automatically update the chart and tell you how many miners you can fit in it and what amount of hash rate that those miners will generate. So the default we have in there is 2.5 megawatts, but if you change it to like 100 megawatts, then you'd see like, here's what the numbers that a large miner is working with when you get into the exahashes. Why are there no uh, what's miners here? It, it's uh, We have it filtered so that it's not super long, but at the top, right next to the power capacity input, you can change the hardware manufacturer. Uh, and you have a show all button. Yeah. Does anyone use like Canon, eBank? There are a couple on? actually a couple of large miners with tens of thousands of canons. I don't think oh. anybody's using eBank or Inyo Silicon at any kind of scale anymore, but for sure, Canon has at least like, I, I would say like 100,000 of their new gen machines out there, something like that. And that, yeah, I didn't realize that at all. That's, that's, not, that's not nothing. Um, mm -hmm. Before we move on from this website, uh, you want to explain what the hell's in this chart, the hash value versus hash <laughs> and hash price. Like, I still don't get it. Like there was a back and forth yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. So I, I didn't even understand what people were confused about at first because I've been like in, in my little bubble of knowing what hash price is for a long time. Uh, people are confusing hash price with dollars per terahash capex for hardware. So because I think it's because of the, the name price and shout out to to Ethan from Hashrate Index. I'm pretty sure he's the one that uh, came up with, with doing hash price as the, the, the name for this metric. 
uh, and it just stuck. And now that's what we're using as well. But this is actually referring to the revenue generated per day by uh, by one terahash of hash rate. So it has nothing to do with the the price of procuring that hash rate of procuring an ASIC. It is just like the USD value per day uh, of the the revenue that you generate with one terahash. And then the hash value is the BTC value per day. So what you can see on this chart is that uh, in July, when the China mining ban happened, hash value soared because difficulty went down. So when difficulty decreases, the amount of BTC that you generate per terahash goes up. Uh, but price was also going down at that same time. So the hash price was not going up at the same rate as the hash value. And then now we're going back to they're converging now and probably I would expect that hash value will will overtake hash price and eventually uh, they'll be far separated with hash price being um, sorry, I, I think I mixed those up. Hash price will overtake yeah, hash value. Ronan, do you understand this? No, I thought it was I thought it was uh, <laughs> I was reading it wrong this whole time his 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 initial explanation of what people think it is is what i thought it was i didn't know right. it was the difference between like okay you're mining this much btc compared to you're mining this much fiat and what i thought it was was for how much dollars per terahash you're buying a machine compared to how many dollars you're making per terahash so I was I was wrong about it. The, the problem I, I with that is that down, I think every machine has a different dollars per terahash capex number. So I, I want to come up with a, a better name for the capex version of it. But the like dollars per terahash to procure an ASIC is different for every single machine because um, like it depends also on the efficiency. It's not just a raw hash rate amount. So the dollars per terahash for an S19 will be significantly higher than the dollars per terahash for an S9 because the S19 is more efficient. So you're you're able to keep more of the BTC that you mine with each of those terahashes um, because you're consuming less energy in order to produce that BTC. And therefore, you have to sell less of it to pay your power bills, which goes uh, so right back is to. No oh, I'm sorry for interrupting, but that goes right back to what you were explaining earlier on why why a single S19J or whatever is better than six S9s right. for that exact reason. Because dollar per terahash is totally different. You have the same amount of terahash, but you're paying different dollar amounts for it. And that does not equal what you're going to end up with. Right, exactly. Got it. So what this this chart really shows is just um, the impact of increasing difficulty and volatility in Bitcoin price on mining revenue. Uh, Big Kuna distracted me. Can you repeat that one more time? Uh, yeah, this chart is this chart is showing basically the impact of increasing difficulty over time, which is why hash value goes down. And then volatility in Bitcoin price, which is why there's volatility in the hash price uh, over time. So increasing difficulty means decreasing hash value. And then if Bitcoin price increases faster proportional to difficulty, then hash price will go up. 
And if BTC price goes down or decrease or increases slower than difficulty, then hash price will go down. Right. So, so then I, why? I, uh, sorry, <laughs> Ronan. Hit us, Ronan. All right. So essentially what you're, what you're saying is like a pool is a purchaser of your hash rate. You're selling your hash rate to that pool and they're mining with it. And then they're giving you your, what you're, what you're owed for that amount of hash rate. And as network hash rate goes up, if your hash rate that you are selling to them stays stable, then, then your value of the hash rate that you're contributing goes down in value. But if the price of Bitcoin goes up, it starts to chase that back because you're being rewarded more for the hash rate, even if your hash rate stays st stable. Right, exactly. So the in, in pool terms, hash value is the only relevant metric because the pool is not paying you in USD or whatever your local fiat is. They're paying you in BTC. So just if if you if you have a steady one terahash, then as difficulty goes up, your rewards from the pool will keep going down. Um, but yeah, if Bitcoin price goes up enough, then your rewards and fiat terms can still keep going up, even as they're going down in BTC terms, so, which is where like in calculations with mining profitability and like, should I mine or not? Uh, there's two CapEx break-even points. One is the CapEx break-even in USD or whatever fiat terms. And the other one is in BTC terms. And I want to make a version of the calculator that's like a BTC maxi version where we do the CapEx break-even of like, if I spent this $12,000 just buying Bitcoin instead of mining, uh, when, like, when would I make more Bitcoin from mining than I could have bought with that $12,000 in the beginning? Right. But, like so, but so in practice, it's kind of the same end result as what me and Ronan thought the chart showed to begin with. Yes. Yes. That's why I, I didn't even like think about it that people were, were thinking of the other dollars per terahash because it does essentially show the same thing. Like, like if you're, if you're long-term bullish on Bitcoin, you should be trying to buy miners when the blue line is lower than the orange line, the yellow line. Right. I would say if you're long term bullish on Bitcoin, you should be trying to buy miners just in general. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically, if hash price is going up, then that means the the value of the, the price that you have to pay for the machines will probably be going up as well. But if you already have them, then that means that the resale value is also going up. So like that's where I was saying before, if you, you can actually kind of imagine people starting to trade hardware on six six month to 18 month time frames where like i could buy a machine expecting that in this next let's say 18 months bitcoin price is going to increase faster than difficulty if that happens basically hash price will go up from where it is right now and if hash price is up from where it is right now then the machine value will be up from where it is right now and I'll be able to resell it for more than I paid for it. And I'll keep all of the, all of the BTC that I mined in the process. So that's, well, that's where it does show the exact same thing as what you were saying, because, uh, as hash price goes up, then the amount that you have to pay for hardware is going to go up too. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for going through that with us. Uh, 
I've been very excited to talk to you about it on air since my confusion. Um, we have BTC Boulder has joined us. How's it going, BTC Boulder? Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Everything going with you guys? I was a little off on the time zones, but I'm here now. Yeah, we figured out that it was a time zone issue. Um, I I don't know if we mentioned that it was Eastern time, but if we didn't, that's on us. Yeah, no problem. Um, you want to introduce yourself to the freaks? Yes, yeah, the Daniel's first name, uh, based out of your Boulder. Um, long electrician now in the union utility power high voltage, medium voltage, lower controls, fiber optic. Not too familiar with like the pricing structure on the, I know you guys are talking to the kilowatt hour, comparing them versus states and when you, when you buy it, time of the, the week. Not too familiar with that aspect of it, but as far as the electrical install side, very familiar with it. Do you have a lot, do you have knowledge on like grids and stuff? Like, uh, um, I mean, I, I know that like the voltages they're running at and certain sections, is that what you're, you're referring to or? Yeah. I, I guess one of the things that I was, I was hoping that you would be in the chat just so we could, you know, confirm and deny some of this stuff. Uh, um, what I want to get into, I, I guess, uh, Matt, are you okay with me just kind of going off on this? Uh, yeah, hundred percent, dude, go for it. Okay. All right. I didn't know if you had an agenda you were thinking or, or whatnot. Um, one thing that I found out that was pretty interesting when you're when you're like kind of building up a mining operation, if you're in the middle of buttfuck nowhere in the middle of the woods, like you, that grid is powered differently than living in a city uh, or living in like a in a business uh, area. So if I wanted to, if I lived out in the woods and wanted to run an operation with ten S nineteens, uh, the the power provider might not even be able to give that to me because that would put much, too much strain on all my neighbors because there's not enough voltage running through those power lines. Um, but if you live in, near a city or like during or in an industrial area, then that grid by default is more wired with higher voltage to actually support uh, larger power draws. Um, that's a correct assumption, right? Yeah, it's really case by case on, on the area because, I mean, you could be out in the middle of nowhere and it still has higher voltages that wouldn't be affected by you running some miners. Do you know what those voltage limits are? And, and I, I get really confused when it comes to, like, your grid voltages. Um, uh, yeah, that's around, like, 13,000. And sometimes in the, in the neighborhoods, I mean, they'll, they'll break it down into just whatever transformers are set up on there but it's yeah 13,000 utility for the most part that's for if it's uh, like city to city city to city it's getting like in the the 24,000 or higher range or but like i think what you're talking about it could be up in the the couple thousand range a good way to look at it is the the pole that's feeding it and the style of like insulator and the size of the pole could is a, is a good way to determine potentially what it's feeding at or or the utility company i'll tell you what that area is getting fed with and will the will the utility company be able to tell you i guess your limit as a as a resident or as a business yeah and sometimes they'll do a transformer depending on the 
the demand of it and, and what you're doing sometimes they'll they'll upgrade their stuff but i mean it's really case by case on on your area and what you're thinking your demand is but they'll definitely inform you on everything of what's being fed and voltages would that be a transformer upgrade uh not to your well okay they can upgrade your pull if there's enough power on the power lines uh to get you more voltage to your house but if they were to upgrade that whole power line um, that might that'll likely require uh, thicker gauged cables, um, and if if you're the one driving that change, then they might ask you to cover that for the you know, the whole circuit. Yeah, I think it's really the on the, on the situation to really answer that the best because it's I've I've kind of seen it just all all different ways when it comes to the responsibility of the utility out or the the property owner or however they want to have the utilities fed in sometimes who's going to pay for it. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm probably breaking off on a little bit of a tangent here. And, uh, uh, when we first started, we were saying that like the best way to get the cheapest power is to position yourself near, uh, the cheapest energy. And obviously a lot of people aren't going to be uprooting their house to move out to the middle of nowhere near a waterfall. Um, and when you get, when you zoom in a little bit closer, uh, the the next step is to position yourself near power facilities or like cities essentially because because if you're closer to the power facility that's a cheaper um delivery cost like these these power providers actually charge you a fee to deliver electricity to your house and my understanding is that that delivery fee is directly proportional to the distance you are to the the power generation site. Um, and generally if you're in the city, you're much closer, but if you're out in the woods, then you might have a higher uh, delivery fee. Um, and then taking that a step further, you might have a, a weaker, uh, like a lower gauge power line set up, uh, meaning that you, you can't scale up a huge operation in your pole barn because uh, the grid in the woods is not good enough to do so. Uh, is that is that all pretty correct to say that like your distance is directly proportional to that distribution fee that they're going to charge you? Yeah, I thought it was so slight that you wouldn't even tell. I have I have some friends in the in the utilities in the metering that I could confirm that, but I was almost under the assumption that like if you're in like Excel Power or somewhere in Colorado, it's not like you're getting that much of a difference between how far over the powerhouse is and in, in your in your house, like out in the middle of nowhere, versus someone in the city that's near the powerhouse, versus the kilowatt hour of the going rate of what they're of what they're showing and advertising. Your kilowatt hours probably uh, I, I, affected that much, but your they do tack on. So you have a a base kilowatt hour for your capacity use, but then you have they tack on a like a deliver a distribution kilowatt hour. Um, I'm going to share something. Uh, if I just post this in the Telegram, can you share it or can I pull it up? Yeah, I can. I can share it. Okay. It, it, it's been interesting. What what kind of led this idea was I made this big thread on uh, on power purchase agreements, and I don't know if you guys looked through it, but the the idea was that I I started looking at my my residential uh, power provider and just seeing what they offered. And I found out that uh, it was all public, all public information online. I could literally point to the the power purchase agreement I wanted and say, yo, uh, sign me up for this. Um, and then they would charge me according to that. 
and this was really interesting to me because uh, when when I thought about this beforehand, I thought that if you're a massive operation, say Riot Blockchain, like you can call them up and negotiate a power agreement. But what I found is that for my company, it was all out there in the open. They had it all structured. You could pick what you wanted. Um, and like, this is where you get into, uh, like, like what? I think Ronan, he conned them into letting them say that he's heating his house with, um, electric heaters and that gave him a cheap rate. Um, you like peak off peak power to get different rates. Um, and so is this yeah. screenshot directly from your power provider's website? So this, this is directly from my power provider and this is what they give me. This is uh, exactly what I would I will be paying um, unless I pick a different plan. And this is kind of hard to read. I, I feel like they almost do it on purpose. Um, but if you, I almost wish I could mark this up. If you just. Yeah, so that delivery charges you're talking about there on the bottom, the distribution kilowatt hour. Yep. So, so if you ignore the first 17 kilowatt hour, uh, portion and you just add up the capacity energy under additional and non-capacity energy under additional and then that distribution uh number that's that, that's going to be your kilowatt hour charge and then they just tack on that service charge and whatever credit on top of it what um, does capacity and non-capacity mean do you know i don't know do you uh do you know boulder <laughs> I was thinking about the the time of day you're using it when it's at peak, like whenever the people are using more on the uh, grid. So I was okay. Mm, so this this is not peak off peak because peak off peak is a different uh, it's a different plan that you get to negotiate. Um, let me see capacity. Maybe how much are you using of it at a time? When I called them, they told me that you just add those two numbers together. And I, I didn't, I didn't really understand the capacity versus non-capacity, um, but meaning that your true cost per kilowatt hour is the, the sum of those two numbers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. Would so, I have a, would I have a question? You're paying like 10 cents a kilowatt hour on your bill of 1050. And then you have that distribution. So it's like, you know, 16, 17. Oh, so um, your, your rate isn't nice. Yeah, no, it's not. Oh, I said nice because yeah, never mind. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I thought you were paying significantly lower than than what I've come to expect. Nope. But when you add it all up, then that's when it gets to that which you're expecting. Right. So with right. Um, then, uh, my, I guess I, I was going to say you... with Excel Excel in Minnesota, they actually have two different charges. The bill looks similar to yours, which you have going on there. But you actually pay per you pay a dollar amount per kilowatt, and then after that, it's almost like you pay a certain dollar amount per kilowatt, and then after that, you pay this amount per kilowatt hour at some really lowered rate. And I've never been able to understand what the difference is between kilowatt hour and kilowatts. In general, kilowatt, is that I mean, that's best explained if you actually think about the, the peak power uh, plan that uh, I guess I discovered. So, OK, to, to, to kind of take this further, um, that's my standard bill. Um, and what I found out is that 
you can negotiate or you can sign up for the peak power agreement. And uh, how that works is you're essentially billed for you're essentially billed for um, the max amount of power that you use. Uh, so if if you're running a welder and you turn it on for ten minutes versus so so in a standard bill, uh, if you turn your welder on for ten minutes, you're only charged for the ten minutes that you're running that welder. If you go to a peak power agreement and you turn that welder on for ten minutes, you're charged as if that welder was running twenty four seven for uh, you know for the entire month. And so that that's what that kilowatt charge is that uh, you're seeing, Neil. You're being charged as if you're running your max power amount 24-7. And you can kind of see how this would be really good for mining, right? Because if you're mining and you're getting charged uh, 18 cents, like the, the bill we just showed up on the screen, that sucks. Like you're being charged 24-7, 18 cents per kilowatt hour. But if you go into a, a peak power agreement, um, they're going to bill you for your peak load for that month. Um, so again, if you turn on your 10 S19s for 10 minutes, you'll be charged as if it's running 24 seven. Um, but you know, you're going to be running that 24 seven and that allows, that allows me to get down to a, I think it was eight cents. Um, and I'm not actually running this, but, uh, I did the math. Um, and I can actually share that if you want to pull it up. So what sure you're thing. saying, it makes it so that you can, you can plan your expenses, you know, exactly what it's going to cost you to run exactly how many you're running and if you go over that then you get then you basically have to end up paying more because you went over the contract that you had with them is that what it is that what i'm understanding you're uh did did, did my explanation make sense to most people it sounds like i, I kind of got chopped up a little it made sense. Um, I could try to summarize as like, basically, there's two really important figures. One is uh, like kind of the base rate that you pay uh, regardless. And then the other one is what is the maximum amount of energy that you consume at any point in time during that entire month or whatever the billing period is, uh, because that will determine an amount that's added on to your base rate for the entire duration of the month. So if you were to just have a random blip where you consume an extra, like, let's say three kilowatts or something, that would actually significantly impact your bill, even if you're only consuming that extra amount for a few minutes because of the way that they structure the electricity pricing. All right. That was kind of my understanding of it. Uh yeah so i yeah this is just like really interesting to me to find out so I, I was relaying this on to a lot of people and uh like people started hitting me up in dms and uh you know telegram whatever blah 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 and like just kind of zooming out and starting to look at this at different states like i it seemed like in michigan which is where i'm at uh a lot of this information was all public you could just google uh your energy provider rates and find all this information out there. Uh, but then you look into Ohio, um, I think Colorado, a lot of it was available, but like Ohio, they, they pretty much made you call them up to, to see what they could offer you. Um, so it's kind of like a state by state energy provider by provider. Um, 
and, and I don't know if that means that these plans are already set up and you just need to call and ask for it. Uh, they're trying to hide it from you probably. Uh, or if that means that it is a negotiation um, and you need to kind of talk through what you're doing before you can sign up for it. That's, that's the experience I've had is, is exactly that. You had to call and talk to them and figure it out. And like that example I had given earlier that somebody was asking me about that sounded amazing, but uh, like who would, who would have guessed that they'd offer you five cents a kilowatt hour, 21 days or 21 hours a day on weekdays, but then they charge you 36 cents a kilowatt hour for the other three hours a day. Like that's just such an absurd plan, but that's, that's offered to residential in that area. Yeah. I, I, it might've been the same person. Somebody was telling me about that. They run for 18, what, uh, 21 hours and just turn it off. Yeah. It's basically they're building the demand response incentives in. So it's like the same kind of structure as ERCOT that miners are using at large scales, like hundreds of megawatts, but instead they're like building it in so that you're incentivized to shut off when they need the power for other people and you're incentivized to consume when they have excess supply. So they're just like incentivizing you to be a just demand response resource for them. It, it, like it's actually kind of smart. I didn't know that that was a thing. I was residential uh, scale. when I've been talking to a lot of people about this, like just kind of thinking this through, you know, let's say you get home and it's time to cook dinner or something and you go and you turn on your electric oven, like you would almost want to turn off a miner to offset that uh, added electricity cost when you turn on the oven um, so that you're not you're not running that oven for 10 minutes and then getting charged as if that was running 24 um, seven. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's like the demand response that you're talking about. And then just because uh, Crypto Cloaks is in the chat. I keep hounding him, telling him that he needs to take his mining and printing operation and find a peak power setup because, like, if his miners are running 24 7, like, that's a lot of power that adds up. Um, and then his miners and his printers are running 24 7. Like, that's kind of a match made in heaven where the yeah, peak power is perfect for something like that. They came out and boosted our, our drop, like, the, the, uh, amount of power that they were willing to drop to us they they did it for free because they want they want people they put in the whole new service and everything for us because you're a customer you're a customer and they know that they can sell you electric and you just tell them what you're doing and you level with them and they're going to actually protect you then after that too because now you're a customer that's buying their electric from them and they're not they don't have any, there's no incentive for them to like go and be like, oh yeah, these guys are doing this. And I don't know if they're paying their taxes or not or whatever, which we are, but like you're kind of, they'll protect you because they want your money. They're just like any other business. It, kind of like going off of this, uh, I don't, I'd like to hear your story on this, Ronan. Um, uh, when when I was looking at my bill, there's there's parts in there that uh, um, there's there's incentives or discounts where if you are heating your house with an electric heater, or if you are heating like doing an electric water heater, you can get discounts from that. Uh, and I think I heard that you somehow negotiated with them that you are heating your house with electric heater, um, which we all know you're just trying to set your house on fire with miners in the basement. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, that wasn't even that wasn't even a negotiation. That was one of those times where I just uh, I called the local power utility. I got a condo. Doesn't take much to heat. Threw a couple S nines in there. Called them and I said, "Hey, I'm going to be uh, using electric space heaters all winter long." And they're like, "Well, how much natural gas are you going to be using?" I was rehabbing the place at the time, so I said zero. And they're like, "Oh, we're all yeah, that's totally fine." But then uh, I asked them, and I go, "Well, what? Because I have a gas stove, the gas water heater." And I said, well, it gets really cold in Minnesota. So what happens if my furnace has to kick on? And they go, we'll see that. We'll see that. And we'll, we can match that with what the temperature was out that day. We'll know what you're using gas on and the quantity of gas you're using. And from what we can tell is your electric use is stable and regular. So we'll drop your electric rate down to six cents a kilowatt hour between October and May. So there you go. You got half the year, more than half the year, that you get six cents a kilowatt hour. And that that includes everything. Your television running, your fans, everything that you have going on in your house, all the electric you use also gets dropped too. But mainly. Yeah, I haven't ran these numbers, but what you're looking at on the screen is is uh, the same residential bill, but then they, they have their, their rates for space heating. But it's about the same. It's like coming out to 17 cents a kilowatt hour, a little bit above, right? Uh, but if you look at the colder, like November through May, it looks like a lot of it drops. And Oh, uh, it drops significantly. Yeah. Then you're looking at like 11 cents a kilowatt hour. And those are also well, the times that gas prices would normally be going up. So you're also eliminating that because you're not running your natural gas furnace. So that's a whole other expense that you no longer have. So, I mean, you're saving on two different fronts. In, in uh, Boulder, in your experience, I mean, is it is it like just the general rule of thumb, like the, the electricity provider just wants you to use energy? Like all these incentives are saying, don't use gas, use our electricity. Um, I mean, it's in their best interest. It's, you're incentivized to just like burn through their electricity that they're providing you. I don't know if there's any like anomalies to that. No, that's that's what I've seen. I mean, I haven't studied too far into it, but I'll definitely talk to someone I know who works for the utility company now that I know some more of the specifics of the questions you guys are looking into. But I definitely know some people who work for the local power companies in this area and work with metering and are familiar with that. So I'll, I'll definitely, maybe even if you guys have another one of these, I could bring them on, but we'll see. Yeah, 100%. I'd also be curious if... Uh... Like if there is room for negotiation in any of these, because I, I, I just kind of think that these companies have a, you know, have a file on their desktop that they open up and say, well, yeah, we can give you this, 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 and this. Um, yeah, it seems like with this person, it'd definitely be a good one to, to find that out because she, she works with them. So it'd definitely be good, good start to get some information on that. And they're usually very willing to help. Every time I've ever called anyone, whether it be to get a new a new service drop that's twice or three times the size of what we have, or just try to see if they have any residential deals that they're willing to offer. Like they'll just pull it up and look at it and help you out. They don't, 
they don't care. They like talking about this type of stuff. So it's, it's easy. Even if you don't know, even if you haven't done the research online yourself to figure out what you're asking for, they'll, they'll tell you what's available. Yeah. I mean, that's how I found out how to read the, the freaking bill that they, they just like, I called them up and they broke it down for me. Um, some BTC pins actually sent me a link that shows the diff, the difference between capacity and non-capacity. Um, I can share it, but I'll read it off real quick. Um, da, 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 forward. Where are we at? Okay. So it says, uh, power supply charge, a portion of the cost of generating the energy that you used to power all the lights and appliances in your home. Uh, your power supply charge was previously presented as one line item beginning in May, 2018, your power supply uh, charge was split into two line items labeled as capacity and non-capacity charges on the bill. Uh, this follows Michigan's new energy policy and will allow DTE to charge elect electric choice customers for their portion of capacity costs without impacting the customers. So it seems like it's just a way to split it for their own uh, accounting. Non-capacity non is variable and capacity is fixed. Ooh, yep, okay. I'm, I'm just reading from what you read from, but that's the TLDR. I think they try and make these bills as complicated as possible. <laughs> and it depends on what level you're working on. Like residential, you're not going to get away with a whole lot of mess around. They'll tell you what you can get. You move up to commercial. Okay. If you're using a little more than typical commercial or you're using it, on a more regular, regular time frame, like you can actually tell them, I'm going to use this much over this period of time, then they'll do something for you. And then you move up to industrial. It's like, the sky's the limit. They don't even care. They're like, all right, give me $20,000 a month. And we don't care what you use. Or Did you, like were you able to run? So you, you are running two meters at your house, as I understand, and you just have like a separate area with a separate meter. And so when you called them up, they just installed a separate business meter for you. No, no, no. It went, it actually it went a weird way was there was a pole barn on the property with a service to it first, which had its own meter. And then a house was built on it afterwards and they were required by law to run a meter to the house or run a service to the house and put in its new meter. But it was only because it went in that order where we allowed two meters on the same property. Cause otherwise it has to be a dual residence. Like the only way you could get other, otherwise like only like a duplex could get two drops. Like they won't run a separate meter out to your pole barn. If your pole barn was built after your house. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I've heard I've heard stories of people being able to get two meters ran at their house. I don't, yeah, I don't if, know it, if you have some kind of farm implementation or you actually are running a business off of your property as well, then you can get it. But just as a straight residential, you can't. And so the only thing we did was we took the existing, I think it was 100 amp or something like that, that was going to the pole barn. And we just boosted it as high as they would let us go. And then since it's all run underground, 
all of white like we didn't it's called a drop but it's not a drop because it was all run underground and they were like yeah we're not replacing the wires it's too expensive we'll do it for free but we're not play, replacing the underground wires but we will come out if it burns up and replace it for free otherwise you can otherwise you can up up the service now and you have to pay for it and we were just like yeah fuck it we'll burn it up i know that uh at least from my understanding it's pretty easy to get like a business uh meter installed like if you're trying to do something in your garage you can have them come out and install a, a 200 amp service um but i don't know what the requirements are for that business like you just need to have an llc or like whatever uh, it definitely has to be a detached building it can't be attached to your home that yeah that's one that's been uh i've been wondering about um i don't know how that works because uh, a lot of these these good deals these peak power deals that i'm talking about um the best ones are in their their business rates uh and so you'd have to have your own separate meter or like convince them that you are a business of some sort yep you'd have to register it as a as a business it would have to be a detached building like if you had a detached garage or something like that you could do it like that but it has to both be physically detached and also be on a totally different like under an llc of some sort or something like that okay and i wonder if that's state by state um it probably I, is i i'm not sure I guess I'm not sure if there's any more questions or comments on the PPA, but I, I guess I have something that we could dive into that I think uh, Daniel might have some good comments on. Hit us. So so looking through the different offers that um, show up on my energy plan, um, one of them is like your, your peak off peak power. And what this means is that, uh, you know, if you're running, if you're running a miner at night, um, it's going to be a cheaper energy rate than if you run it during the day. And that's, that's, uh, to pretty much incentivize grid balancing, like we were just talking about, um, because they know that everyone's going to be at home on the weekends or whatever, during the day, running showers, whatever, getting ready for work. But at night when everyone's sleeping, all the lights are off, everything's off, there's not a lot of power demand. Um, and I guess when people see this, like a lot of the times they're like, well, I'll just run my, my miner at night and I'll turn it off during the day and I'll max, I'll just maximize the cheapest power that I can get and go from there. Um, I think Dan knows where I'm going with this, but he wrote uh, he wrote an article on this that I think would be interesting to, to talk through. Yeah. Perfect setup for the firmware shell. I was waiting for it. Um, <laughs> so Basically, in, in that scenario that you were describing, I don't think in most cases that it would make sense for you to actually shut off the miners during the more expensive time periods. I think uh, using a firmware like BrainsOS Plus more strategically is a really good way to become competitive with the larger scale miners, even when you, you don't have uh, the benefit of cheaper electricity like they do. And what I Basically, the the idea would be you play the efficiency game when your electricity is more expensive and you just maximize your hash rate when it's less expensive. 
So during those those nighttime hours, you would overclock with Brains OS Plus. Like for example, with an S9, you'd do it um, maybe 1400 watts. You might get 17 terahash per S9. Uh, and then during the daytime hours, when your electricity is more expensive, you would do the opposite. You would undervolt it down to maybe about 800 or 900 watts. Uh, and you would determine the, the right power setting. You just experiment with some different settings with every machine. And the auto-tuning process would kind of find what's optimal. So maybe some S9s you would have uh, 800 watts would be perfect, whereas other ones, 900 watts would be perfect. Uh, and that's just going to vary from machine to machine. But at the end of the day, what you would do is just uh, you would go for trying to get down to like 75 watts per terahash with the kind of maximum efficiency that you can get from an S9 when your electricity is more expensive. And that way uh, you're consuming less electricity overall. So your total cost is lower. And then you're also running at a more efficient power setting. So then your the amount of your, your profit margin basically during that time is better. And then when you have that cheap off-peak power, you just want to maximize the amount of BTC that you mine and you don't care as much about how much power you're consuming because it's not going to cost you as much. So then you change your power settings to overclocking. And you could just have a couple of Python scripts that automatically do this like uh, at 8 p.m., increase power input to 1,400 watts. At 6 a.m. or whatever it is, decrease power input to 800 watts. And you could automate the whole thing so that you play the peak off-peak uh, power uh, pricing differently and you maximize for efficiency when when you need the, uh, the lower to lower your electricity bills and you maximize for hash rate when you want to mine more BTC on cheaper power. And then since you're not turning them off and turning them back on again, you're not running into that same uh, swipe span. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yep. That's that's a huge part, even for, I think, the demand response resource, the miners that are doing this at larger scales, like in the, the dozens of megawatts or even the hundreds of megawatts. Uh, if they're participating in demand response programs where they're shutting off every single day, uh, they probably make a lot of money to shut off. So most of the time they're going to be incentivized to just completely stop consuming power for whatever amount of time that that, uh, that, that they can get paid so much by the utility uh, for not consuming. But when you factor in lifespan, which we don't know exactly what the impact of cons consistently shutting on and off does, but um, it could be rather significant. And in that case, then it might make more sense to just decrease the power input per machine as low as it can possibly be, uh, but keep them running so that you don't actually, you don't deal with the thermal cycling where the machine shuts off completely and then it cools off and then it turns on and heats back up and the, and the silicon gets uh, expanded and retracted and expanded and retracted and eventually that wears on it. Um, so yeah, it's, I think like every single operation is going to have different requirements for that, but but there's so much room for optimization in terms of how you consume energy at, at different times of the day, depending on the amount of energy you have available and the price. My understanding is, my understanding is that's why like a lot of the S17s had issues is because 
you know, they'd turn off and that, that ex- excess heat sitting there would just not get dissipated and it would uh, eat through a lot of the thermal paste um, holding those. They were just shit. Weren't they just shit pieces of hardware? They were shit pieces of hardware. Yeah. You get them brand new out of the box. You take a fan off and you could pour the heat sinks out of them. Brand new from the factory line. They were garbage. I, I think I it mean, was really bad paste or they used something different. Um, they, yeah, yeah, they one- changed from... I don't remember if it was like thermal glue to thermal paste or what, but they they basically used a much cheaper material to attach the heat sinks to the hashboards. Uh, and then heat sinks kept falling off or they just weren't as thermally conductive. And so, so like the heat wasn't dissipating and then the machines overheat and that causes yeah, so all kinds of problems. They're a piece of shit. Uh, so Daniel, uh, on SIL on Dispatch 38, uh, we had Jan on. We talked at length about Brains, uh, this custom firmware you guys ship um, that makes your Bitmain miners uh, significantly better. Um, but I come from the perspective that micro BT, what's miners are just better hardware. Um, where do you stand in terms of like evaluating the equation between buying Bitmain hardware specifically so you can run brains on it versus investing in micro BT, what's miners, and just hoping that you guys ship brains eventually. Yeah, the win what's minor thing has become a somewhat <laughs> painful meme at this point. Um, like we, we're so close, but we've, I've, I've thought that for a long time. So, I don't want to say anything. It's still, it's just soon TM. Okay. So you should just wing it and buy a what's minor. Yeah. I, (laughs) at least on the, on the M21 and the M20, which is the mid generation, I think that we will have those soon TM. Uh, We, I, as far as I know, we already have it hashing. The firmware is hashing on M30 and M31, M30 plus S plus as well. But I, I would imagine that it's like once we get the M20 and M21 out, it will probably still be a few months before we get the new generation stuff out. So if you're buying the new gen stuff, then I like optimistically end of Q1, but I shouldn't even say anything like that. Like just, uh, it, it'll weeks. be a few months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two weeks. Exactly. Um, um I saw the, um crypto cloaks asked about s19j and i don't know if we have the j as part of this but i do know that we're very close on the s19j pro which i think when we in our next firmware build that we release i think we will have a more stable build for s19 t19 and s19 pro which are already in public beta right now but we'll also include, I think, a beta for the S19J Pro. Hopefully that these, also includes S19J. Do you think these mining manufacturers will ever improve their naming scheme or are we just fucked? No. I wish that they would also just stop producing so many random variants and <laughs> just have like one or two things <laughs> That drives me nuts. Every time have, that there's a I new have, one, yeah. 
I have an M32 46 terahash. I have M32 62 terahash. I have M32 68 terahash. Like it gets to the point where you don't even know what miners you own. You have to like I go don't. check. I yeah. literally have no idea anymore. Our larger clients, and we're trying to get them the firmware, and it's like we have to ask so many questions just to figure out which firmware to give them because it's like which control board version do you have? Which EEPROM chip? is on the control board uh do you have the 96 terahash version or the or the 100 terahash version or is it the 102 terahash version or do you actually have like the j and you just told us it was the base model but but that's because you were uh you didn't realize how how much complication that there is involved with like each individual sub variant has slightly different architecture that we have to account for and yeah it's it's, it's such a mess What's minor, I think, is a little bit better than Bitmain because Bitmain, like, there's at least, I think, nine or ten different subvariants of the S19 already, if not more. And there was just like a random S19A. I just saw that one or two weeks ago. I don't ago. know what that I have is. No idea what Does that anyone is. even know what that is? Nope. It seems to be the same terahash as something but then, else. But then, even with Bitmain, like the M30s have. Am I correct that the M30s have higher terahash than the M31s? Yeah, yeah. M31 is is kind of the equivalent of the like T19, whereas. But like M30 that doesn't make any sense. The S19. numbers higher, the model numbers yeah. higher, but the terahash is less. Yeah. Same with the M21 and M20. The M20 is no a better sense. machine. And it's like the they use the leftover chips. I think that's why. Forty-six. Terahash M32. Everyone I've had has failed. It's the only what's miners I've ever had that failed. With the M32s? The M32 46 terahash. <laughs> I didn't even know the M32 existed. I, I think that the M32 actually kind of belongs in the M20 generation. From like what I've read about it, it sounded like the M30 generation is really like M30, M30S, or M30S, M30S plus, M30S plus plus. M31 and M31S plus, but the M32 is made with the same chips. I might be wrong about this, but I think it's made with the same chips as the M20 generation. So but for some any, reason, it's named M32. Do you have any idea exactly how they decide what is what? Because I'd heard, and I mean, this is just <laughs> absolutely. They, they use a dartboard. Yeah. No, 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 Drink no. A I bunch think of it's just... hearsay is in the manufacturer of the chips, they get... They get chips that are this, and they get chips that are that. So they 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 decide which chips go on which boards, and then they're like, okay, these ones are closest to forty six terahash, so let's make a machine that's that. These ones are closer to sixty two terahash, so let's make a machine that's like that. Because if you've noticed, like plugging in some of these machines, like some of them are just animals, and I can't figure out why. Like you plug in a 68 terahash m32 the thing can it runs at 60 or it runs at 80 terahash its entire life and it's just right. fine. like i have no idea why this happened they just like fucked That's it up why... oh it's because That's... there's no there's no quality control they That's just, why like... the, the firmware is such a big value add because like their firmware is just the absolute same for every single model but no model is actually the same like you can get two different M32s and one of them is a workhorse and the other one is a piece of shit. And like the firmware that they, that comes on them is just going to treat them the same 
Whereas maybe you run brains on those, uh, like we don't have it for the M32S yet, but like maybe for you get an, an old beat up S9 that's on its last leg and you get another S9 that's like still got five years left in it and brains will figure out, okay, we can give way more uh, higher frequencies and voltages to this kind of newer S9 and we'll give much lower to the this older S9. And yeah, we're not going to get as much hash rate from this older S9, but at least we're not going to break it and it's it's going to run as efficiently as it can. And like the, the firmware that comes on them is just, it's like treating individual little snowflakes as all the same. Uh, that said, from what I know, the What's Minor firmware is actually more sophisticated than the Bitmain firmware. But I don't know if they have like the sophistication of figuring out optimal frequencies and voltages, but there's something to do with the what's minor chips. They only really hash effectively in certain temperature ranges. So you kind of have to do some, some sort of tuning process just to get them hashing in the first place that isn't involved with Bitmain. Like Bitmain, as long as it's above a certain temperature where, uh, where it's like safe to run, and below a certain temperature where it becomes dangerous, then they'll hash. Whereas that that effective temperature range for what's miners is apparently a lot smaller. So they have some something going on in their firmware that's that's already doing some sort of tuning. I've also seen if it it, it depends on what machines you're partnering your machines with. The what's miner doesn't seem to be such a big deal, but like a S19J or an S19 Pro don't work very well next to each other because they have different, I don't know if it's temperature sensor, sensors in them that will shut them down, but like one will be sucking in the other one's heat or or however the airflow works, I can't exactly describe it, but they, they will, one will not run next to the other, but as soon as you replace the one with an identical model, then they're just fine. Interesting. I never I heard about crazy. that. I know, I know it sounds crazy, but yeah. This is why Ronan's my favorite Bitcoin miner in the space. <laughs> he just like downs 15 white claws and just places miners next to each other and sees what happens. <laughs> yeah, plug them all in. Let's throw let's throw a half a dozen what's miners next to some S19s, see what happens. So I want to bring uh, BTC Boulder back into this conversation. Uh, Boulder, we were talking about... Um, three phase supply uh before you joined before we even went live we were talking about it uh neil brought it up ronan minor brought it up um ronan you want to hit him with the question that you had i mean i i just pulled up the question that uh uber ponage posted uh he didn't actually post a question he just said that three phase supply is better um what was your question again about three phase? I have no idea about any of this. Yeah, the yeah motors do run better on three phase on higher voltage. Motors do run better, and I guess is that is for efficiency on cooling. I guess is that the biggest. What is three phase? What are we even talking about? Is everything in a house? Everything in a house is two phase, right? Yeah, no, it's single phase. Oh, single phase. Single, single can phase. Can you can you so give the low phase, level? Well, two phases, but it's called single phase. Yeah, it's called it's, single phase, but it's two phases. Yeah, and then so like everything's every leg is 120 volts. So if you want 
if you want two, if it's in residential. Yeah, yeah. But if you want to run a if you want to run a miner or a stove or something like that, you have to have you have to have two twenty or two forty. So you have to hit both those legs. Three phase comes in as three legs, and then so three sets of one twenty. Yeah. So, but you have to balance it. You can't just tap into one one twenty and then another one twenty and leave the third leg of 120 vacant it would just it won't work so if you have three phase you have to run three miners or yeah three and you do leg one and leg two leg two and leg three and then leg one and leg three so that you get your 240 to each of those miners but my question was what's the benefit and what's the best way to do it i don't i don't get that can I, can I, before we go into the, I'm super <laughs> curious about this too, but can I kind of ground people on this a little bit? Yeah. Um, oh, shit, was that, was that pun intended? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. I'm trying to find a photo to share up here, but when you, in the United <laughs> States, when you have, uh, when you have a breaker panel, Big uh, Kahuna is the worst for the, the podcast uh, listeners because he every time he comes on, he just wants to share all the photos, but I do appreciate <laughs> it. Man, I mean, this shit's so complicated. Like, if you're just listening, it, I, I don't just know. Share like, a little drawing. Especially if you guys are, like, multitasking. You're probably zoning out, falling asleep. Um, anyways, so if I understand it correctly, uh, in the United States, all your residential power is... Uh, is um, 110 and if the way that works is you have your power lines and you got your transformer and i believe all the transformer is doing is it's 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 scaling down the amperage so that it can bring it into your house because if there's too much amperage in your house scaling down the voltage scaling down the voltage to bring it into your house so you got a transformer um and what happens is out of this transformer is two wires and these two wires go directly into your breaker and each of those wires is a 110 and a 110 um to ground to ground it's a one it's a 110 and a 110 and a ground is what's coming in the wire no no one no no 110 to ground to each phase and then when you go phase to phase you get the the 240 or the 208 depending on if it's commercial or residential Man, this is yeah. This is where I get a little bit lost, but uh, like, so you have the the two one tens in there, and then like, you gotta pretty much combine them to make your two twenty, uh, or two forty, yes. I guess. And that's that's when you power your electric range, your electric uh, oven, um, your Bitcoin miners. Um, but when you're just doing like a standard outlet for your phone, it only takes one of those legs and pushes that through your circuit. A neutral. Yeah, one of those legs in a neutral back to ground. Okay. So when you're doing three phase, you get three legs that come from your transformer. Um, is it a 110, 110, 110 or? Yes. Okay. And then you just have to do some to like ground, really yeah. Yeah. wonky shit yes, to, to be more specific, yeah. each, each phase of it, each phase of it. Yeah. One, 120 to ground is, is what it is. And then each phase to phase. It's 240 or 208, depending. I got to interrupt you for just a second, Boulder, just so that everyone knows this. Do not work on this information. 
hire a professional electrician. Yes, this, yes, is yes, just, yes. this is just so you get some sort of basic understanding. But this is so you like you know what to talk to the electrician about. Exactly. But like a licensed electrician is 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 fairly cheap in the scheme of things and uh, well worth it. Do not kill yourself. Yeah, it cause a lot of damage to expensive equipment. So if you bring in if you bring in if you bring in a licensed electrician and you you tell them, okay, I have this Bitcoin miner, or if you want to say, like, I have this server that needs 220. He's going to probably default to two phase, right? Whatever the equipment's running on and what it calls for in the power supply of the miner. I guess that was my original question. And I think maybe Matt was alluding to when he asked me my, what my question was, was what is the benefit to three phase? Yeah. It runs higher voltage, runs higher efficiency. Okay, so it's uh, watts divided by like volts if you had a, equals like amps. If you were able to get, like if you were able to get four hundred and eighty volt miners, it seems like that would be ideal. It'd run more efficiently, but I don't think I don't I don't I haven't looked in to see if they ever make those or the power supplies or no or they what don't. it would entail. They don't, but that's the equation that you work with is uh, watts divided by volts equals amps. So as long as you can kick up those volts, you're using less amps, and amps are what you pay for in the end. Like kilowatts are essentially just another version of amps. So you're not you're not taking in the amount the quantity amount of electric. You're just taking it in faster, and you're taking it in potentially higher it's more efficient it's more efficient to run it at higher voltages okay that's what i was always wondering because that's why data centers all run three phase and then what is why do i not understand if it's 208 208 three well, i guess phase. for an example on it like i guess one example would be like some massive motors that i run if they were to have the horsepower if you were doing them at 120 volts these massive motors that are did I lose them? Oh, I was gonna say, did I freeze? No, we all lost them. Big motor didn't want him to continue his conversation. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> So efficiency gains, I get that. And that's why I assume that's why uh, data centers run on three phase. But I've talked to plenty of people that that do that. And I just never knew exactly why. And I couldn't understand what the uh, what the trade offs were. I knew there had to have been trade offs like running single phase is easy, running three phase far more difficult. I don't so, know what he what he means by efficiency gains, though. Like, because you're, because you're taking in less amps. I mean, if you're just looking at P equals IV, right? You have a much higher voltage that allows you to. You have a constant power. Your miner always wants to c consume a certain amount of power. You have your higher voltage that gives you a lower amperage draw. Um, so I assume that means you can have uh, much lower amp breakers. Yeah, you're 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 
you're consuming less power because power is actually measured in amps, not volts or anything like that. Like your consumption doesn't matter how many volts you consume. Consume. It's consume. measuring how many amps you consume. That's what you're paying for. Boulder's yeah. back now. What's up, what's up, Boulder? We lost you there. Where did I cut We lost you when you were saying if you're running a big motor. It, it's running more efficiently at, at the higher um, voltage, but it's still as much as you're getting charged as the, the kilowatt on it, but it's more just the efficiency of the equipment you're running with it, I, guess, I think, is the higher voltage is where it's beneficial. When you say efficiency, are you referring to a lower amperage? No, the efficiency of like the where you're losing electricity and in, in delivering the what it's getting before it gets used, like your loss of electricity is less when you're using higher voltage because you're losing it via resistance of wire. Let me ask this. Okay, so when you look at a miner, like if, if you pull up a miner graph, uh, I don't know if I have one up, um, you see that the terahash just goes like. Like the variance is pretty crazy. Like if you're running a 100 terahash miner, you can see that it's going way high and way low. Is that due to inefficiencies in the? That's just, that's just share submissions. That's the variance, like just inherent to mining, because the pool is measuring the hash rate of a miner based on, like they're only receiving maybe one in every few hundred trillion hashes that the miner is doing, and that's how the the pool can like validate each share that's being submitted without doing the same amount of proof of work as the actual miners are doing and consuming all of that energy a second time. Okay, let me take it a step further. If I plug my phone in, am I getting uh, like a, a different, am I getting like a sine wave of different uh, voltages going through that and it's charging at different speeds depending on what's going through there? You're saying, Efficiency on how you're plugging your phone in. Uh, I'm just. I guess I'm just trying to understand. I. I don't. I don't get it. I'm gonna shut up. I now. think it's just. I think it's power loss when you're delivering it at like higher levels of energy. That you're losing it. You're not getting it as much of it to the actual use of it versus power loss of other electrical uh, resistance you're getting. So what's the difference between those two? Like how many, how much power are you losing with one phase or two phase relative to three phase? You're losing more when you're running at higher amperages. So it's an equation. Watts divided by volts equals amps. So if you want to keep your amps stable, because that's the amps you need to run the machine, and you want to divide the watts by volts when you increase the volts which three phase does then you're saving on efficiency does that make sense yeah the less amperage you use the more efficient you'll run because you're, you're you're losing you're not losing it as much with the electrical system exactly Moving on. Has anybody ever tried batteries as far as trying to balance out whenever the electricity is more expensive 
and trying to have it where you're charging up batteries when it's the less. Why wouldn't you just run the ASICs when it's cheaper? Run them, yeah. Run the ASICs and the batteries, so you're charging the batteries and you're running the Ooh. ASICs, and then you switch over to the batteries whenever it gets expensive. But you don't have to kill the ASICs; you can run them full speed and just switch over to battery. Wouldn't it be cheaper to just get more ASICs? Yeah, and you're killing the batteries, and your those are going to need to be replaced. And there is always storage loss, so it's not one for one. It's not like you're charging the battery up and it's giving you back the same amount of power later. You're better off just buying more miners and running them during the cheap air times, right? Yeah, and then shutting them off. Or overclocking with brains of plus. Yeah. Because like what's the like the storage loss on a on like a typical battery is like insane, isn't it? It's terrible. That's why wind and solar don't make any sense. They make a little bit more sense in a Bitcoin world though, don't they? I would say so, yeah. Not batteries. Them instead of using batteries. Yeah, 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 but not yeah, not batteries. I thought you meant that batteries make a little more sense in this. No, 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 no. Wind and solar make more sense in the Bitcoin world. Yeah, yeah. But yep. you you still need a grid connection there. That's the the big thing. Is like this is actually uh, the the same exact type of thing that miners would have to figure out with their local utility provider if they were trying to mine with a solar farm or a wind farm at a larger scale is like, what what are we gonna be paying when we're consuming from the grid? And then do we tie into the grid for um, being able to send power back to it during the peak production times? Or do we just, are we just a consumer from the grid? And then we have to like figure out how much we're consuming at any given time based on how much solar or wind we're producing. And then uh, our grid rate is gonna be different from our solar rate or our wind rate. And then maybe also on top of that, our grid rate is going to change at different times of the day based on peak and off peak. And we also are going to have some demand charge if we're consuming uh, based on whatever the, the maximum amount that we consume from the grid is. And that's where uh, the like anybody trying to mine on solar or wind will actually uh, at least want to look into batteries as a way of like reducing that demand charge, because it may make sense that in order to maintain 100% uptime with all of your miners, you might want to have just like maybe 20% or so of your total energy production capacity uh, that you store in batteries, just so that you don't ever have to increase above your maximum threshold that you're consuming from the grid so that your, your demand charge stays lower. Uh, but yeah, at home, I don't think batteries would make much sense unless you're just you have some solar panels on your roof, and you have a bunch of of batteries, and you're mining fully from the solar power plus battery power. Wouldn't that be what brains is for though? So if you have, if you have peak and off peak, like whether the wind goes down or like if you're on your own solar wind farm your miners can overclock when there's plenty of available energy. And then they'll, isn't that what you were talking about with the brains systems? That yeah. Do that? It's just, it's getting more complicated with, with figuring out like how to balance CapEx with OpEx, because it may be the case that 
in order for you to buy the amount of miners that it would take to fully consume that peak power production, let's say it's a solar farm and, and you have eight hours per day that you're producing uh, a peak amount and then the rest of the day you're producing much less or none at all, uh, maybe it will make more sense from a like risk perspective and just a general investment perspective to buy a little bit of battery capacity just so that you you don't have to buy as many miners and you can uh, reduce the total amount that you're ever consuming from the grid so that your your grid electricity rate is lower for the 12 to 14 hours a day that you're uh, consuming from the grid so maybe like you have uh, batteries that are 20 percent of the total capacity that you need to consume in a day and you just run on that battery power to keep all of your miners online when you're on pure grid power otherwise and that way the amount that you're consuming from the grid is lower and then your your grid electricity price is lower because your demand charge isn't as high i just feel like that's so much extra build out so much extra infrastructure that you're gonna have to take care of like even if you had solar panels during the day that did well and then maybe it was maybe you're built on a coastal town where it's really windy at night or something. So you can kind of balance that with whatever type of firmware you have that you can plan for that. I just think that building out that type of infrastructure is going to cost you more than just buying from the grid in the first place. So maybe hydro and things like that are a little more reliable. Well, the, the government kind of screws it up with, offering a lot of incentives, I think, for I don't believe that in particular. The I, government like, screws it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um but what you're like, saying is like if you get a subsidy for installing the solar, then it could be worth it. Yeah. And not that I necessarily would support that, but like just from a, a mining perspective, if you can work something out where you can mine profitably for many years then whatever it takes to do that i would i would do it and i think for sure at an at home scale if you live in a place with high solar density like i'm from new mexico there's solar panels on a lot of roofs in the houses in new mexico because we get sunshine like 300 something days per year and it's it's relatively high intensity um like the price that you pay for electricity in general when you install solar panels goes down significantly. There's already really good incentives to do it, even if you don't factor in Bitcoin mining. But if you just like replace selling to the grid when you're producing extra with mining Bitcoin instead, I think it could make a whole lot of sense if you're using low CapEx machines like S9s and M20Ss so that you're not like taking on a ton of extra risk when you do the mining part portion of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, there are a shit ton of in, like subsidies and incentives to get people to do solar. And I don't understand why you would ever sell it back to the grid if you can mine. Right. Because they yeah, give you, you can, like a shit price too. Yeah. The break-even electricity price is basically the price that you, the, the amount of revenue that you're making per kilowatt hour. So that's what you can view it like just the trade-off is if I sell it back to the grid, 
whatever they're willing to buy it for, it's probably going to be like three or four cents per kilowatt hour because they still want to make a margin on it. Uh, if, if you can mine at like 13, 14, 15 cents per kilowatt hour of revenue, then you might as well be mining with all that excess and just never sell any back to the grid. And maybe even it would make sense to out, uh, overbuild your solar panels so that you have more and then you can, you can have a few extra miners there and, and, uh, and then maybe like you have a, a little battery system too, and, and you're consuming from the grid at night and you have a 24 seven uptime mining operation at your home where your electricity price is considerably lower than it would be if you were just using the utility because you have that solar. Or even go search out individuals that have already built out solar solar systems, like you're saying, uh, on their roofs in New Mexico. And the price they're getting to sell that back to the grid is embarrassing. So you tell them, hey, I'll give you I'll give you more than that. And I'll just put a miner over here and it turns on when you'd otherwise be selling it back to the grid. Yep. Does, uh, I know there's a lot of talk of like smart meters coming for households. Does that help with any of this metering stuff? Well, I could imagine you have, go ahead, Boulder. No, no, I don't know anything on that. Um, I was going to say, I could, I could imagine that you have a management system for your miners where you're also taking into account all of the other things that are consuming energy in your household. And then you're automatically adjusting the amount of power consumed by the miners in order to never pass whatever that peak threshold is that like makes your electricity prices unaffordable because of the demand charge. So what we were talking about earlier that like, if you just randomly run some high energy device or appliance for five minutes, then the energy supplier is going to charge you as if you were running that thing for the entire month or whatever it was, uh, then it would kind of make sense to have like your, all of your appliances and, and everything that consumes a significant amount of energy tied into the same management system as your miners so that you can, uh, like use your miners as kind of a demand response in your own little household. Like if you're running your air conditioner, then you run your miners at 800 watts instead of 1600 or something like that. I mean, I think my perspective is a little bit uh, different than most people. When I hear smart meters, I like cringe a little bit because like it's 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 just like more surveillance coming yeah. in now. Now it's coming into the power. Right. And you have to ask the internet in order to turn off your lights or or turn on your fridge or whatever. And if if your internet goes out or or the power goes out, then you're just screwed. So guys, I mean, we're an hour and forty seven minutes in here. I think it's been a very productive conversation. I think uh, we went really far into the weeds because. 
you know, I, I had no idea really what was going on the majority of the time. I was just trying my best and learning along the way, which is usually my favorite type of dispatch. So kudos to you all on that. Um, do you guys have other topics you want to discuss here? Or I guess I have one for Sovereigns when asking a question. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's more questions, but I think that would be a good way to finish this up. Um, it sounds like Sovereign, I think what you're asking is, is there a way to have brains have multiple tuning profiles and and be able to adjust those on the fly um and there's not a way to do that right now but i i think in the future as we you know as you taper up and down your mining um uh draw um to like offset things in your house you know if you need more power for your household you tune it down if you need less you tune it up um that would be a really cool feature to add to brands. Um, and it, it'd allow you to do a lot of cool things like, um, you know, use your miner to heat your house and have it tune up and down uh, to match a heat instead of match a specific power draw. Um, so, I, so yeah, this doesn't exist yet. I think that answers the question that you're asking about. If, if you can auto tune for all the different uh, profiles well, I mean, I think he's he's specifically asking in in terms of the situation where, like, you're you're running solar, you have a subsidy, and you're selling back to the grid, and you're trying to instead of sell back to the grid, use it yourself. So that, in that that's case, not very would, easy to, to do. Yeah. So in that case, you would want to tune your miner up and down, like draw more power when there's more solar energy available. But are you like manually clicking? Right now, you would have to manually do it. You'd have to code it yourself and uh, use like a Raspberry Pi or something to do it. And, and you would tell it to just change the amount of power draw you want at any given time. Um, but if there was a way to put that in the firmware to detect how much power your cell is producing, um, then yes, you could. Uh, you could uh, it, it would be great if, if brains could detect that and scale it up and down so that you're matching your power produced with your power draw of the miner. I think the best approach to that would be is not necessarily powering your miner up or down, but instead diverting the heat into other things. Like, so if you're going to, I don't know. Okay. So the water heater can't be heated all the time. The, if you live in a cold environment, you can't be just pumping that out to thaw your driveway all the time or anything like that. Like, I think it would be more advantageous rather than powering your miner up or down is deciding is having some sort of, like you said, a, uh, a raspberry Pi or something that determines what's been heated enough, what hasn't, where to divert the heat, what needs it, where can it go? And then wait it all goes hand in hand because you know you could scale your miner up and down to get a certain heat threshold for your hot tub um but also maximize the amount of power you're drawing from your solar panels um and i mean i think that's the that's the direction we're heading if, if bitcoin continues on its path people are going to try to figure out how to how to incorporate these things into every household for uh grid balancing it's gonna be absolutely amazing man i can't yeah. i'm so excited to see what people come up with I would add to that that um, with the immersion stuff we've seen in the last couple of months, a lot of like open source DIY immersion builds where people are 
building their own tanks or just like going through the process of setting up an immersion system and, and documenting it for the public to see. Um, if we're going to have something like we've been talking about where you can take into account like having different energy sources and different amounts of consumption for other, other things in your household and all of that, um, like I, unfortunately, I don't think it will come from brains because we have limited resources and we need to focus them on serving the, the largest miners that we can uh, just from a business perspective. So like doing, committing tons and tons of resources to at-home miners uh, in this scenario just probably isn't going to make sense. Do you know what, not anytime soon. Do you know what your breakdown is? Like, in terms of like resource allocation? No, 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 not in terms of resource allocation. I know you know what that breakdown is. Um, slush pool is predominantly considered the pleb pool. It is considered the uh, pool yeah. that, you know, Ronan, when he gets really drunk, he decides to tweet out that he wants to start his own pool. And every response to it is, but we already have slush. Um, <laughs> Do you know what the breakdown is between like small scale, maybe I guess I would say like under, under a petahash versus over a petahash, like what that breakdown is? Um, I don't know exactly in, in those terms. I know that we have approximately 10 or 11,000 miners in total. On the I thought tour. you have higher than that. Doesn't it actually tell me how many you have? It's like 16,000 or something. I didn't check like, well yeah, the average the average is a thousand miners per miner, like a thousand machines per miner. Right, we have one hundred eighty-two thousand three hundred and twelve active workers. Oh wow, yeah, seventeen thousand one hundred fifty active users. That so doesn't tell average, us exactly. If you don't have a thousand miners, you're not a you're you're not in a pleb pool. Oh, because it tells you 17,000 active users and then 182,000 active workers. And the right. workers are the actual are, is each miner is a worker. I, as far as I know, that that number is not necessarily 100% accurate because I don't think that we can recognize when people are using like aggregation proxies. So if, if a mining farm has 100 machines, but they're using a proxy in between their farm and the connection with the pool, then it can appear as like one machine to us. I don't know how common that is. So it could be that that's not very common or that we have some way of still seeing how many, like we, we have monitoring services as part of the pool. So it kind of makes sense for people to connect each individual worker if they want to have that monitoring service. But there's a lot of farms that have like their own farm management and monitoring third-party service um where they wouldn't need to use the pool so i mean so, Daniel, you can tell me to go fuck myself but i'm <laughs> curious like your gut what what does your gut say percentage wise uh the amount the amount of of people using your pool that are under a petahash or is like 20 percent, 15 percent, or something the amount of users under a petahash i would guess is like over 50 percent so Ronan, right you around. wouldn't consider that a pleb pool? No, those numbers don't add up. The hash is what matters. Because if there's, oh, I look if at the we're workers, talking about so if there's if a hundred talking about users, then it's much much different from like I would guess that at least eighty percent of our hash rate comes from maybe 
10 mining entities. There you go. But if, if you about. tell me like how many, how many of our users, what portion of that 17,000 active users has less than a pet ash, I would guess it's like something in the 50% plus range. Cause there's so many miners with like one or two S nines or, or just one S 17 or M 20 S connected to slush. So, yeah, and then but, I got, I have a bunch of different accounts that have. Yeah. But Ronan, I mean, if you, if you notice there, I wasn't, you're above pleb status. Cause I said petahash is the oh limit. Yeah, no, but what I mean, so you're a suit I mean, now. What I, what I mean though, is if 80% is controlled by 10 entities, that's not really a pleb pool. Yeah, I mean, if you're renting out subways and using them to fucking mine, like, I don't know if you're a pleb anymore. Oh, <laughs> that cuts deep. <laughs> so, Ronan, oh, when are you going to launch I, a mining I don't knock. I don't knock slush. That's where I tell everyone to go. The pleb pool thing, it was started as a joke, and I don't actually plan on ever doing that anytime soon. But, I mean, come on. Sounds on, like I think there, there are people? pools with with double our hash rate and maybe fifteen percent of our users, like for sure. In the um, relatives, from a relative standpoint, we are by far the closest thing that exists to a pub pool. I agree, and that was that was my entire point when I said <laughs> something like that. Is without slush, if something happens to slush pool. I'm a devout slush pool guy. I, I really am. I show you guys more than probably any other product in the entire industry. My my concern is if something happens to you guys, where are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. There has to be alternatives. Yeah, it's we love issue. you, Neil. Yeah, hopefully other pools are. I I I I'm kind of concerned with the the north american pools yeah being like a more much more regulate much more regulated uh entities than we are and then like you have to like go to a dinner party in order to be a part of their pool right yeah and i don't like i don't like that at all leave it and, up to matt to take advantage of me when i'm when i'm sick <laughs> <laughs> only only time he knows that he can get a shot in Ronan, literally every single one of us 15 claws deep has had the idea for a pleb pool so don't don't <laughs> let it hurt you too much claws deep <laughs> no yeah the north american pools are concerned right dan yeah like there's there's reason to celebrate the chinese mining ban in terms of decentralization it was definitely a much bigger attack service having more than 50% of hash rate in China. But that said, like, there's no, there was no chance that China was ever going to come in and start telling pools, don't mind these transactions, only these ones are okay. And if you don't do it, then we're going to arrest your executives and blah, 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 and shut down your service. Like, obviously, the Chinese government is not friendly to pools and, and pools are having they're now being blocked by the great firewall and they're having all kinds of issues. Every pool that had their uh, domain registered in China is screwed right now and, and like trying to figure out solutions. But I don't think that China was ever going to be censoring transactions and, right. and really like regulating pools. So I, 
I'm happy to see a large portion of hash rate moving to North America and the US in particular, and happy to see mining pools growing in North America. But I don't want to see them get more than 50% either. Uh, like what would be really great, and I don't expect it to happen. I don't know really how it would happen, but it would be great if there was like a pool in South America and a pool in um, in Asia somewhere besides China. And like those pools had significant enough portions of hash rate that if anything were to happen with any other jurisdiction, then then miners could just migrate over and the, it would, everything would be fine. Uh, I think once we get into any pools having more than 50%, then uh, we better have some stratum V2 adoption or else that is some like non-negligible attack vector. Well, it, and I mean, it's more than just a single pool getting over 50%. Like right. if we have like a couple regulated US pools together being- Combined 50%, yeah. Um, it, it starts, I mean, at 50%, it doesn't necessarily become a concern fully in terms of censoring transactions. I mean, you still have 49%. If you're talking 51%, you still have 49% of miners that will include your transaction, especially if you pay a higher fee. But um, the higher it goes, uh, the more of a concern it is. And ultimately, like, I fucking love this country, but we're the land of KYC. We're the place that, yeah. you know, shut down BitMEX and fucks around with Kraken and stuff and makes it so that you go to a website and it's like, it's like North Korea, Iran, and fucking America can't access this website. <laughs> that like That's us. We do that. Um, so it definitely is a concern. And yeah. all the rah-rah around American hash is... Uh, and I mean, a lot of the American hash is concentrated in Texas. So it's even more... It's not even just like a federal government you have to worry about. You also have to worry about the individual states. Yeah, and it's the the big advantage for Chinese miners was their proximity to hardware manufacturers. The big advantage for American miners and Canadian miners to a lesser extent is the access to capital markets. And as long as especially like publicly traded miners, um, like shout out to Grid, they just announced a, a SPAC that they're doing for $3.3 billion. But like they're miners in the US are the only ones doing that and, and Canada, like Bitfarms and HUD8 in Canada. But for the most part, it's it's like publicly traded mining companies in the US have such easier access to capital than anybody else that they're going to be able to scale really, really rapidly. And um, like even if there's really cheap energy available in other parts of the world, which there certainly is, uh, for those miners to compete, they're going to need access to capital at at least like somewhat similar capacities as the miners in North America. So uh, this is like, I, I've been in South America for most of this year and finishing out the year here. And that's like one of my focuses is going to be trying to figure out how to serve the miners of Paraguay and um, Brazil and Argentina and all these countries down here uh, who like they, they may have abundant energy but they they're going to have a much harder time financing hardware equip, uh, hardware purchases and infrastructure buildouts. Um, but but we're going to need them in order to maintain this decentralization. Now that there's not the two big hubs with China and the U.S., uh, assuming that mining doesn't 
ever return to China, or at least not in the near future, which I'm not so sure about. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there is a significant amount of hash rate in China again in the near future. But we can't we can't assume that there will be. And um, with that, we definitely would it would be nice to see South American miners scaling. To a lesser extent, there's even hope for miners in in Africa uh, emerging. We we already know some like there's miners in the Congo, um, but maybe we could see uh, like for example, Ethiopia has four major rivers and a ton of potential for hydropower. Where we could see like Ethiopia becoming a major Bitcoin mining hub, but it's so much harder to to build a business in Ethiopia and like to have the risk management to know that you're going to actually receive the ASICs if you try to ship them across those borders, to know that nobody's going to come and and try to like shoot up your security and steal all the ASICs and all of that type of stuff. Uh, so like, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things working against. Uh, decentralization globally now, and that's what I I hope that we can see uh, El Salvador be successful with mining and and a lot of other countries. That's what I was just going to suggest was a Salvadorian mining pool. I mean, we have we have a lot of people that, that are very cool. supportive of that. That would point their hash rate at something like that, and I'm not talking like competing with slush pool or anything like that like that that's not my plead pool idea it's just the uh club pool each their own it's just something that i think that could really work and if you if you wanted to go to el salvador i'm sure that they would i mean there's plenty of salvadorians down there that are very very uh apt to do all the things that you need you can hire local well any any regardless <laughs> regardless of where i was going with that is i think that's an, a prime place matt you son of a bitch i might just have to go do it now <laughs> i uh I look i, I share your thoughts that's all sorry um it's just like We've seen over the years, like since I joined Brains, I've heard, can't count how many times, like somebody's starting a pool and yeah. so few of them materialize. And then even the ones that do materialize, I think probably a few of them have uh, buyer's remorse. Like running a pool is extremely technically difficult. Um, like it's not something that you can just decide to do. And then six months later, you're going to have a working pool. Uh, it's like super, super difficult. Yeah. And then financing it competitively, like you, you need, uh, you, you need to have deep reserves in order to compete with all the other pools that are offering, uh, like very, very low fees and full paper share. That's why I'd go payouts. after a government. That's why I would go after a government to support it. Well, I mean, yeah. there's massive economies of scale, right? And that's why you see the successful new pools usually are are people like Marathon, where they have, you know, they have access to capital markets, they have a shit ton of hash themselves. Um, so they create a pool, they're the main miner of that pool. And then they try and encourage other people to join it through rebates or whatever. Right. Um, and I mean, that is what you know, has always been one of the major concerns, right, which is pool centralization. This idea yeah. that there's, there are legitimate 
incentive issues in terms of economies of scale when it comes to running a pool. But if you had a government subsidizing the whole thing. Yeah, just, then you're a fucking government out. lackey. Like, why that's, am I going to support your government pool, bro? That's the key word, though. Like, the only way to do it basically is to have it subsidized. Whether it's being subsidized by, like, pools are loss-leading businesses now. Uh, like, we, we've focused so heavily on the firmware because the firmware is, like, incentives are aligned. We're not a middleman just taking a fee and offering a service. We're actually, like, helping miners make more money. So for us to take a fee there, uh, it's, it's, like, more of a win-win situation, whereas pools are becoming more and more of just a, like, use our pool so that you also use our financial platform or use our pool so that you also use xyz other service which is where we actually make money and yeah, so it's, that's why i continuously shill slush pool is that you don't see or i don't see other pools coming out with products that are actually bettering mining like they're just they're just taking their rake and doing their thing like yeah yeah I mean, I mean, sludge is anyone who's done any kind of research. I mean, you guys, uh, you guys are the real deal. And I really do appreciate you. Um, all jokes aside, uh, very grateful to have slush here. We'd be in a way worse situation. Um, it'd be nice if, uh, people that had micro BT, what's miners could, uh, <laughs> participate in stratum B2, but, uh, that's just a little bit of a new thing. Soon TM. Yeah, two weeks. Um, guys, I mean, this has been a fantastic conversation. We're a little over two hours. Um, I really did appreciate it. Uh, I think we should probably wrap up here. Um, when we wrap up, I like to uh, finish with some final thoughts. Um, so let's do that. Final thoughts. Uh, we'll start with Dan. What are your final thoughts? Um. Boy, uh, I would just say if you have any possibility of mining at home, find some ways to make it work, whether it's like reusing the heat or using some more sophisticated strategy to optimize the amount of uh, electricity that you're consuming. Um, but like the plebs really are the backbone of, of Bitcoin and having more people involved in mining. It's been really great to see the past year, how many people have been just educated about Bitcoin mining that used to not understand a thing about it. Um, and the best way to get to learn more is to just get an S9 and plug it in and start troubleshooting and, and hashing with it. So I recommend anybody who's got the, the itch to do that, just go for it. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Neil, Ronan Miner, final thoughts. Um, I just want to thank everyone. I love everyone in this community. And I mean, whether it's my personal life or what goes on in Bitcoin or whatever, everyone's been so supportive of everything that we do. I just, it's crazy. It's crazy to know so many people that are just such good people. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. I just wanted to say, uh, I'm, I'm very happy you found your dog kitten. I was, my whole family was, uh, was worried about it. So it, it's just really great to see you guys reunited. Thanks, man. Um, big Huna actually fuck you, big Huna Boulder final thoughts. 
Yeah, I'm going to definitely check and see about the different power consumption rates of different areas and, and packages you could buy and look into that because that's definitely something that I didn't look that far into. So I'll look into that a little bit more in the future. Thank you, Boulder. Boulder, let's, uh, we're going to do another mining thing. In the, I, I want to do constant mining panels on dispatch and you should definitely join us in the future. I would love that. That'd be great. Yep, you should also good. post Big more content online. I'd love to learn, learn some more from someone who's working, uh, you know, working <laughs> right with electricity. He's getting me back. Big Kuna, final thoughts. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to call your power provider. Um, there's a lot of different ways out there that, uh, you know, you can get cheaper cheaper rates that you might not know about. It's either out there in the public or you can call and they'll walk you through it. Um, and then I'm just looking forward to uh, Bitcoin mining being used to, uh, you know, regulate demand in the household and on uh, the grid as a whole. This has been Thank fun. You. Thank you, Kuna. I appreciate you. Um, freaks, I hope you found this conversation helpful. Um, if it was way over your head, consider listening to Citadel Dispatch 31. Uh, that's CitadelDispatch.com slash CD31, where we start from the basics on Bitcoin mining. Uh, there'll be a lot more Bitcoin mining content here, mostly focused on home mining um, because fuck the suits. Also, I will be at the Nashville Bitcoin meetup on December 8th, and the whole focus there will be on mining. Uh, we have Econo Alchemist, multiple-time guest on the show, and Diverter, also a guest on the show and a good friend who will be there. Uh, consider stopping by. If you are in the area, you can look up Nash Bitcoiners on Twitter. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us. I truly do appreciate you guys. Uh, this was a very good conversation. Like I said earlier, uh, the conversations where I'm in over my head are the ones I enjoy the most on Dispatch. That is kind of the point of the show to begin with. And I want to thank the freaks uh, for joining us again for another Bitcoin Tuesday. I really do love you all. Uh, <laughs> Neil is telling me in the private chat that he cannot make the National Bitcoin Meetup. And I do forgive you, Neil. Um, thank you. Thank you, Big Kuna. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Boulder. Thank you, Daniel. Really do appreciate you guys. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Freaks. Thanks, Matt. You guys still there? Like, this is our chat only now. No, it isn't our channel only now. The music is starting. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, no, sorry I can't make it, man. I love you, brother.
in the Rolls Royce Kanish. Only the doctors got this, I'm hiding from police. Cocaine seats, all white, like I got the whole thing bleached. Drug dealer chic. I'm wondering if a dog's prayers reach. It's pious, pious, God loves pious. Socrates acts who's biased for y'all seek. Off later, screech. I'm out here balling, I know you hear my sneaks. Jesus was a cop in the yeast. Nobody without telling me Sunglasses and Advil Last night was mad real Sun coming up 5am I wonder if they got calves still Think about the girl in all leopard Who was rubbing the wood like Kiki Shepard Two tattoos, one red, no apologies The other said love is cursed by monogamy That's something that the pastor don't preach That's something that a teacher can't teach When we die, the money Spend it all cause the pain ain't cheap Preach Human beings in a mind What's a mind to a king? What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a Love you, freaks. Um, hope you enjoyed that episode. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. 
Uh, reminder that you can support the show. Uh, you can support Dispatch by buying a hat that are now in stock. Still dispatch.com slash stack. There's also links there to buy pins from BTC Pins, Ride or Die Freak. Um, and you can also buy a flask uh, at sildispatch.com slash stack. Those proceeds also go to open source development. Um, I appreciate you all. We will have Rabbit Hole Recap on Thursday at 1 Eastern, uh, which is 1800 UTC. And we will have another dispatch on Tuesday. I'm not sure on the time yet. That's going to be with the nodal guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Nautilito, their new, very cheap node product. Um, so be sure to check that out. And once again, if you're considering going to Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through 9th, I am heavily involved with that event. Uh, it's going to be an absolutely massive event, Bitcoin only. Uh, there's a music festival at the end. But the big thing that I'm really excited about is this open source stage that's like 2,000 people. Uh, if it was by itself, it'd be like one of the largest conferences for open source development, maybe the largest. Um, I have a discount code for you. You cannot share it on Twitter. I do not get a cut from it. So it's higher than all the other discount codes. So you're not allowed to share it on Twitter. And that code is open source. So if you are going to go use that code, it applies to all tickets. Um, I love you all. Stay humble and stack. Question for you quick. We're still live, but yes. That's fine. Is there going to be another one of these mining big in Nashville? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the plan is right now, like the way the Nashville Bitcoin meetup is working is going through topics. Um, so there was one on privacy. There is one on self-custody. This one's on mining. I'm not sure what the next one's on. But I mean, there's many months in the year. Like there's definitely going to be another mining one. I mean, mining such a massive part of it. I'm um, fucking, so you I'm, should join us for the next mining one. Yeah, I'm bummed out, man. I even had the days off, and then it was like, okay, can't go, I guess. Yo, Neil, since like it's just me, you, and the ride and dies, like you want to talk about compass for a little bit? Okay. <laughs> Did you see this guy's question? Imal 101? Oh. Like I felt bad that we didn't answer his hey, question. So is having your miner hosted at Compass not a good idea as home mining? No, it is certainly not. Uh, very, very perfect example of not your keys, not your coins. So sure, you're mining your own wallet, but at the same time, you spent a tremendous amount of money on a miner. Like $10,000 is or, or more is a lot of money to anyone. I don't care how much money you have. 10,000 to $15,000 is yeah, it's a, a lot of fucking money of money. And you can't know whether or not that those miners are secured or not. You can't know whether or not what they're doing with your <clears throat> miner unless they can send you a live video of your serial numbered miner running which probably wouldn't prove anything anyway. But even if they could do that, I mean, yeah, in a week, they could anything. just take the miner and sell the miner if they wanted to. I mean, yeah. there's there's no 
there's no way to really verify it. There's a trust relationship there. Yeah, and it's it's not one that I would do with a company that's so new because you really don't know what they're doing. They could be rehypothecating. They could be doing a lot of things. The point is you're you're adding trust to the equation. You're you're adding a trusted third party. And the and whole reason to be mining is so that you can take trust out of it and get, take KYC out of it and all the other things that get you into mining are are completely up in smoke. Like you're not you're not mining to get rich unless you Wait, we're not doing that. Well, we're always going to get rich, but, you're, <laughs> but if you're taking you, if you're, if you're given, if you're giving your money to a third party, you might as well just be buying Bitcoin because that's going to accelerate faster. Well, no, to me, I mean, so, so, so with compass, I mean, you have cheaper electricity, you're getting a cheaper power rate and you're getting easier uh, I, I think mining is easier than people expect, but it, it is easier than necessarily mining yourself. So you're getting that aspect out of it. Um, compared that's compared to mining with the trade-off being that you're trusting a third party that could fuck you at any moment. And you're not just trusting them. You're also trusting whoever they're hosting with and whatever country they're hosting in. So like compass, for instance, has like Russian, uh, warehouses like you're not only trusting compass you're not only trusting the warehouse owner but you're also trusting trusting the russian government not to fuck around um but compared to buying bitcoin i mean the compass doesn't have even if you use a credit card the kyc is different than if you are buying bitcoin straight up right because you're like you're paying with credit card and they don't know your UTXOs, right? Because your because your miner is connected to slush or another pool, and then that pool is sending it out. So they have to collaborate to know your UTXOs. If you're using something like Cash App, you're giving your full ID information, more ID information than you're giving with Compass, and you're like scanning your face and shit, and then they know all of your withdrawal addresses. Period. Okay. Uh, yeah, so right it's a little that. bit. There's another trade off there as well. So yeah. I, would, I would be curious on how exactly, like, say that your miner doesn't necessarily exist there. I'm just running, I'm just running a, uh, like the Ponzi scheme uh, scenario. Yeah. Like they're selling your miner to pay people that came in before you. And then they'll sell their miners to pay people that come in after you just to catch up to what they may, may or may not have to do. They can't really pay your address except for when it comes to that thing where they were giving people $500 a month to delay their miners going online for another month. But that was a, that was a credit to more minor purchases. So you're, so that miner you bought from me, I'm not putting that online yet this month. I got to delay that a month, but I'll give you 500 bucks for another miner, but you can get the miners shipped to you. I, I know people have successfully gotten them shipped to them. Okay. Um, they seem to be shipping out miners. If you ask them to ship them to you, I would say like, if I was in a 
compass delayed scenario, I would just have it shipped to me. I say fuck it. I think that they would rather ship the miner to you at this point. Yeah, they don't want to deal with the because if they if they have power constraints, they would much rather get the miner off their books. They cancel whatever whatever contract they had with you for energy costs and all of that. <laughs> we're adding listeners because people realize we're still talking now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, what's that? The post alpha or whatever. I mean, it's 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 kind of great. Like all of a sudden, people are like fuck. Like I might have to stay till after the music video. Yeah. No, I kind of. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, now you can start. Now you can start uh, monetizing the music videos that you play. It's like, hey, I mean, I'm doing the exact opposite. Track? <laughs> I like. I get flagged for every music video because, because oh, they, I don't have permission to play them. But I just, I. You know, this is not a this is not a monetized show. There's no ads or anything. So, um, I like to end it with a with a nice fucking rip. Oh, my bottle doesn't have a cork on it. It has a screw top. Dude, you never buy screw tops. It's crown. It's crown royal. Ah, uh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like you're trusting a third party, so you're adding third party risk to your mining operation. Um, and I honestly think like this infatuation with low electricity costs. I mean, I know we just had a whole conversation on low, like trying to decrease uh, your power costs, which you absolutely should do, um, is not as is not as important as just getting off off of zero in terms of mining in the first place. What like, I try uh, to, I also try to explain to people exactly that with efficiency like okay an s9 compared to the efficiency of an s19 yeah that's that's substantial that's something you should think about but like the different like we were talking about you can you can have the same model of miner an m32 and a 46 tera hash or an m32 and a 62 tera hash or whatever you want to call them they're the same model they have different terra hashes. They probably have different efficiencies. And then people like try to calculate all of that out. And it's like, so I did, I did the difference. Uh, 102 terra hash, what's minor? Uh, 110 terra hash, um, S19J Pro. Like you were talking efficiency wise, if you did it per terahash, it was like three cents a day. He's like, so who cares? Like yeah. at that point, like of of course, if you're running a mining farm or you have any substantial amount of miners running, that means something. But when you're when you're running half a dozen miners or even a dozen miners, like you're talking, that's 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 a lot of money. That's a lot of money that plebes don't have to be built plebs. either or and and so three cents a day times 12 or we'll call it 10 so that's 30 cents a day who cares you're making so much money anyways it's not really that big of a deal like don't worry about efficiency unless you're running thousands and hundreds or thousands of machines i'm living in a goddamn quarantine house right now 
Yeah, dude, get better soon, man. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us. I mean, uh, I always appreciate you joining, and uh, I'm sorry you won't be at the Nashville Bitcoin meetup. I was flattered to be invited, for one, and I am heartbroken to not be able to make it for two. Like, I already had days off and shit. I was already planning on going. Well, I appreciate you not giving everyone their COVID, and uh, including myself. Um, <laughs> and I hope to see you again soon, my dude. Yeah, we'll, we'll meet up again, man. Take it you easy. have any final thoughts for the freaks now that you're uh, you're an established guest? You came, you, you stayed later. Um, no, just don't, just do what you think is right. Everyone, everyone kind of already knows what's right. Help people, fucking answer questions. If you're if you're a freak, you already know most more than most people. And there's no reason that you ignore people's questions or anything like that. Like just fucking talk to people. That's all they need is a helping hand. Fuck. Yeah. I appreciate you, brother. Um, uh, before we go, actually one more thing. Uh, did you see that compass? If, if you're still delayed, compass is offering a free year of hosting. Do you think that's enough? Oof. I didn't even know that. What do you think about that? That's a pretty, I mean, I think that's a pretty generous offer. Why would they do that? Because they completely fucked over those people that are still waiting. I had no idea. I kind of, I kind of forgot about that saga. Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate I you, brother. I hope to see you again soon. Uh, to, to Neil, to Ronan Miner, give Kitten a kiss from me. And uh, to the freaks, stay humble and stack sides. Love you all. Yep. Love you all. Later.